I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. At first blush, getting insurance seems like a relatively straightforward process. You research providers, you request a quote, and you go with the option that best suits your needs. Simple, right? Boring even. And sure, marketers have tried for years to add spice to this relatively bland industry. Geico continues to celebrate the gecko. Progressive has long running ads with the lovable flow. And State Farm has encouraged us all to not buy insurance in the same way our parents did. But none of those ads cater to SMBs and neither do the companies. But Thimble has been able to fill an SMB size void in the market. We are disrupting time and technology and the industry's approach to it. Typically, if you are a business owner, you have to show proof of insurance or you often can't get a job, especially a legitimate sizable job. And so you call up insurance agent and you try to get your policy and they're gonna quote you for an annual contract. And you're like, well, I just need enough to do this job. Maybe not the whole overhead cost of an annual contract. What Thimble had already done and fought those regulatory battles doing was come up with a product that was much more flexible. Today, we offer insurance by the month, and it really is like a SaaS-based, almost Netflix subscription-like product. That's Rick and Dewan, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Thimble, a SaaS-based insurance platform that is helping SMBs and freelancers get insurance based on their needs. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Rickon unpacks how Thimble is making insurance fun by building a content strategy based on reusable blogs that puts the company at the top of the search rankings. Rickon also discusses his personal journey to Thimble and why every marketer should do a little self-exploration. Enjoy. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. This is your host, Jeremy Bergeron. 
And today we're speaking with Rickon Dewan, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Thimble. Rickon, glad to have you. I'm excited. I listened to a bunch of episodes in the past few months, actually, and, and become a big fan. So sweet. Great to uh, stand on the shoulder of giants here. Nice indeed, man. Well, kick us off a little bit with maybe just kind of where are you from? Siblings, big family, kind of give us some context here. Uh, oh, that's a big question. I wasn't expecting that one. Uh, I was born in London in Wembley. Oh, cool. Right down the street from the stadium, but then moved to the US and specifically uh, Jersey uh, when I was six years old. Ah. I don't have a big family. I got an older brother, a father uh, and a mother who are um, actually both born in Africa and moved to them the UK and then brought us here to the States. My dad has had a big influence as well, just being a computer programmer and being in the tech scene. I think a lot of my early days was never wanting to be a computer programmer because of that, right? But at the same time, just obsessed with all things digital and tech and also web. Um, so, you know, that was the early 90s and, and watching that unfold was a, was a big kind of formative period. Mm, that's awesome. You said your parents were, you said, originally from Africa. My dad was born in Nairobi and my mom was born in Zanzibar, right down the street from Freddie Mercury. Wow. My wife and I went to uh, our honeymoon there um, just to see. And it was it was amazing, amazing experience. So I love it. Yeah. That's amazing. Actually, I lived in South Africa for a six month period and I've traveled back one time since then. I just love that. It's a big, big place, big continent. Yeah. But any connection to that that place is, is, is magical, man. I, I immediately... Felt a very, yeah, there was just a, a vibe in Africa, you know, you've been. And, and so that's pretty yeah. cool, man. I, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite activities, like stuff you like to do for fun? Well, I have two kids. I have a four-year-old daughter and a six-month-old. Oh. Um, he's going to be seven months tomorrow. Wow. So I love being a dad. love being there for them. You know, quarantine has brought us closer <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of the time is is that family stuff. My wife's a creative director um, wow. as well, so we get to, we get to jive on that. But I love soccer, football. I'm a big Manchester United fan, big England fan. Euros slightly disappointing, but nonetheless enjoyable. And I've always loved music, so guitar is my main hobby. I can dabble in piano, but whenever I can, I'll, I'll try to pick it up and just jam out. Oh, nice! That's awesome. Well, we we share the fatherhood connection as well. We have four kids. Under the age of four, we have twin 18-month-olds, and then we have two three-year-olds. So basically two sets of twins uh, at our crib. And so I'll just full stop there. You already know You already know what my life is like. I will never complain. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's incredible. I'm done with two. I'm very happy, but congrats to you. That's awesome. Dude, thank you, man. It's a, and, and those ages are so much fun, man. I mean, we're you know, changing diapers and chasing kiddos literally all day, and yeah. time moves really rapidly. So yeah, I feel you there. Who are some marketers that kind of continue to inspire you and why? Maybe from back in the day or even even now today, like who are some folks that are really kind of inspiring you specifically? You know, it, this sounds bad. Like I don't read ad age. Uh, I don't read ad week. Um, I've definitely met some amazing managers in my career and been guided and influenced along the way, you know, for me, though, it's it's always actually the inspiration comes from the person who had the idea, right? The the person who kind of set the business path. You know, you mentioned it early on in my career, I worked at Apple as an intern. I won't, you know, uh, embellish that further. But one of the biggest things was as interns, this was in 06, 
the execs would come out and talk to you every week. So they, with a, a private audience of just interns in the, the main um, auditorium that's in Infinite Loop, um, or that was an Infinite Loop. And so we had Steve Jobs come out, you know, and, and just talk to the intern class. We had Tim Cook when he was still, um, I believe, CFO. We had Ron Johnson, who was the CMO and had just an amazing background, um, you know, coming from, from Target um, and setting that brand and then coming to Apple. And so, you know, that was really eye-opening, but I've always been obsessed with the CEO and the founders and then just had some, you know, great people guide me throughout my career as I was always, you know, joining marketing teams and working my way up. Mm. So you said you don't do a lot of kind of reading uh, in that in that space. And I'm wondering if that's because there's just so much out there and it won't be that unique to you. Like, what's that? That's an interesting perspective of maybe not reading as much content around marketing and things like that. You know, it is a little bit hard and you have to do your job and jump in and, and execute and then to kind of pull back. You know, it's not that I'll never open those or that they don't show up in my inbox, but I'm not a, a student of marketing in, in that sense. I prefer just going in and making a lot of mistakes and hmm. figuring it out, um, you know, aligning with the teams along the way. But, you know, it's great to see what the latest algorithm change might do and how that might impact us or iOS 14 changing everything we do. So you have to keep up with some of those trends, but I find a lot of it, you know, tends to be like a business book where you read the essay and then you can move on, right? You've picked it up and you can keep going. Mm. I'm curious about this, this as well, especially in your role, really leading marketing and growth for, for Thimble. What does it look like for you to just sit down and think? You know, do you find a quiet spot somehow, some way in your house with two kids? Do you read, ride a bike, you know, listen to rap music, classical music? Like, what do you do to think? What does that look like for Rickon to think? So I find that I've become a better marketer by doing something else, right? Um, and so when I was at Foursquare, I picked up Node.js and, uh, you know, the whole Mongo and Angular uh, stack just to learn how to develop something, right? If you have an idea and you want to bring it to fruition, how do you do it? I've learned things like Illustrator and Photoshop and Figma now. In fact, a long, long time ago, I tried to build a little startup called Tableista, where it was like an iPad check-in system for a restaurant. Um, and just so learning those skills is super important to me. But then I was able to bring it back. When I interviewed at Foursquare, I told them that I had tried and dabbled in a restaurant application, right? That gets you in the door, but it brings something new. It allows you to work with product people and empathize with them, but also communicate with them a little bit better. I think sometimes they get a little annoyed that, you know, uh, a couple lines of code here and there and you can call it out. But, um, you know, I think dabbling as a marketer is super important because you have to interact with all these other um, people and, and do other things. I, the funniest thing I'm probably doing right now or, you know, have semi-active is that I have my real estate license. And that was born out of a uh, I hate the real estate industry. I think it's there's something there for disruption. And I'm always looking for that. What is disruptive in some of these nascent industries that the internet really hasn't touched yet? And so I got my real estate license just to see how it worked. And, you know, every time a friend needs help, I'll, I'll go help them. But, you know, it just shapes you. It, it makes you connect dots a little bit differently. And so for me, thinking happens in that. It's hard to find the time with all the, the kids and and, you know, just focusing on your full time, but 
my favorite interview question actually is asking, what do you do in your free time? Because I want to see, are they trying to do something else mm-hmm. to push? And then can that something else mm-hmm. bring value back to the org? And so I never get afraid of somebody saying they have a, a side gig or a side hobby. I think that's great. We have people on my team who are stand-up comics and you know trying to, to tailor that craft. And I think that's awesome. And then they bring it back because the copy they write is just fantastic. Mm. You talked about, I like this, like, you know, having kind of an affinity for disruptive companies in nascent industries. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously you worked at Uber, Foursquare. Where did that come from, though? Was that something kind of early on that inspired you? Like, wait a second, like this one thing is disrupting an old school industry. And is that where did that start for you? Because you clearly got a lot of experience at Uber and I want to hear about that. But where is the genesis of that interest in, okay, Disruptive technologies, innovation in nascent industries and nascent old stodgy industries. I think I've always loved those stories, right? Like the iPod coming out and iTunes coming out. And, you know, before I interned at Apple, I worked at a retail store before the iPhone even came out. And so my job was just selling iPod shuffles. And but to see that kind of shift, right, in the music industry, you know, I think Robinhood is a great tagline of democratizing finance. And I think it's just, how can you use these tools that connect people to democratize something that has been trapped, right? And so whether that was the music industry, I think the real estate industry still needs it, hence trying to keep an eye on it. Education needs it. So for me, even when you look at my CV, my LinkedIn, the industry never continues. I, I, I think there's some amazing marketers where they've always been in an industry and they've you know moved and shifted, but it's really... They have a passion and they follow that. For me, the passion was kind of like the problem, right? And yes, I worked at Uber, but really I found my way in there through the back door. I took on marketing at a company called Social Bicycles, which was a bike share company with a really disruptive vision. And so bike share is highly regulated. You need to win city permits just to launch. You can't just drop a product. And Ryan, who was the CEO at Social Bicycles, who I'd known for quite a while, calls me up and says, I got this e-bike it's amazing. Uh, it's going to change how the bikes and bike share work, but also we're going to go D to C. We're not going to wait for a sponsor. So if you're familiar, like Citibank and Ford, you know they sponsor two of the biggest systems in the US, but they're not the bike company, right? And so Social Bicycles wanted one brand, one experience, no matter what city you were in. And so that became Jump. And that's what I helped do um, when I joined them. And then Jump took off and we, you know, we ended up selling Jump to Uber, you know, five months after I had been at the company. And so I kind of found myself in Uber and, and then learned to appreciate how Uber challenged that regulated system of TLCs and how every city was, um, you know, approaching transportation. Um, and I, I just think that's always so fascinating. So, yeah, I think I'll always keep looking for those opportunities, too. I like that. So. What is kind of a big takeaway from your time at Uber and leading marketing uh, for the bike and scooter division there? What are some of the lessons learned in your time there and things that you brought over as SVP at Thimble? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a very different product. It's a very different type of organization. And the role marketing plays was was very different for me there too, right? So um, Uber is a very operations-led company. It's not you know, an e-commerce company per se, there's a lot of supply and demand and you know two-sided marketplace challenges that it has. Um, marketing does play a very strong role 
in there. I think the things though that did impress me though was those people in operations. There's a guy named Christian Fries who is uh, the head of our operations in, in EMEA in Europe. And the way he would come into a meeting with just clarity and focus and pick up right where you left off from your last conversation, I just found that inspiring. And, and so I've tried to bring things like that. Uber has built a PR and comms machine. And it really, you know, they had to do it at the city level. They've had to do it now at a global level. And to me, actually, it taught me how much brand might be slipping away from marketing a little bit and go into the PR comms side, right? These good headlines, these things are born out of oftentimes PR ideas versus a marketing campaign. And the marketing campaign almost amplifies it. But I, I kind of learned a different view of how marketing plays. But there's a lot of frameworks, there's a lot of discipline that they've done to scale at that speed that you know we're, we're trying to employ or I try to employ um, here at Thimble and, and all, my, all my efforts. Hmm. So fast forward to today, I mean, what does it mean to be the senior vice president of marketing at Thimble? That's a great question. Well, when I, when I joined, there was two people in marketing, you know, but we were a very small company. So a lot of it is, is understanding the business. It's really sitting with the rest of your leadership team. And, you know, you got to become very friendly with, uh, with finance and how the business model is structured. And to really understand the strategy, how is this very small, early stage company? We're a Series A back company. How do we want to scale? What metrics do we need to prove? And then you have to figure out, well, what are the marketing metrics, right? Like, I, I think a big challenge that marketers have, the reason why maybe I glaze over sometimes on some of those conversations is talking in marketing metrics doesn't do it for the rest of the leadership team. It doesn't do it for the board. You have to translate to business metrics. And so I think, you know, when you join a startup as, you know, whatever the title is, but as the first marketer or the, the main marketer in there, you have to take that and then you have to backtrack your design. You have to think about, okay, now how are we going to build this org, right? Are we going to be D to C and e-commerce? Is this kind of an accounts-based management? Is marketing here for leads and then sales takes on those leads or is marketing going through the whole thing and we got to be buddies with product, right? So, you know, that was the challenge. I've always encountered branding challenges. So oddly enough, when I joined Jump, it was Social Bicycles. We were branded to Jump. When I joined Thimble, it was a company called Verifly, which had been focused on drone, drone pilots, drone operators, and then realized there's such a massive audience and opportunity to go after different professionals with what we were doing in insurance. And that's when we quickly rebranded. I joined in September of 2019, and we relaunched a brand in October 2019. So just six weeks later, it ends up being brand, and then you just go in growth. Like, you know, at this stage, growth leads you through it. But you do have to wear many hats. You often have to wear PR comms, you have to wear BD, you know, every function within marketing. But I love that roll up the sleeves, show some signal that, you know, there's an opportunity for the company there. And then every, Every time that happens, you know, it tends to allow resources to come to you and your team grows. And so now we're still not a very big team. We're about 12 marketers uh, here in the U.S. We've gone fully remote, but a, a lot of opportunity and runway ahead. So why was this, this type of insurance ready to be disrupted? That's a great, great question. And I knew nothing about insurance coming into this company. So, you know, when someone called me up and said, I got this insurance opportunity, 
I kind of scratched my head. I'm like, I'm working on bikes and scooters. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> but um, so Thimble focuses on small business insurance. So we don't do things like homeowners or auto insurance, but um, the small business market um, for insurance is massive in this country. It's, it's $150 billion TAM, um, you know, annually. And what was really interesting to me is really the approach that the guys, so, you know, our co-founders, Jay and Eugene described, and, and I've kind of now summarized as we are disrupting time and technology and the industry's approach to it. And so typically if you are a business owner, you have to show proof of insurance or you often can't get a job, especially a legitimate sizable job. And so you call up, you know, insurance agent and you try to get your policy and they're going to quote you for an annual contract. And you're like, well, I, I just need the, enough to do this job, not maybe not the whole overhead cost of an annual contract. And so what Thimble had already done and fought those regulatory battles doing was come up with a product that was much more flexible. And so today we offer insurance by the month. And it really is like a SaaS-based, almost Netflix subscription-like product where you can cancel at any time and it renews every 30 days or so. But we can also even go right down to the hour. And so we can cover you by the job as well. And so if you're just getting started, if you're you know, a handyman who's got a job this weekend or a photographer who has four-hour gig, you can really now get the right size and the right priced policy for you. And then the technology side um, that being the time side, the technology side was typically yet to call up an agent, right? And they even have brick and mortar on the corner of, of many towns. And it really, you know, that's great, that human touch. But what we've brought to it is really e-commerce model to insurance. And so you can buy everything on our website, on the Thimble app. Um, you can get your proof of insurance instantly. And honestly, as a marketer, we could be selling anything. We could be the next D to C deodorant in terms of our strategy and the, the skill set that my team has, but we happen to sell insurance. And, um, you know, I love it because I think I've always had an affinity for small business owners. Uh, you know, I think they deserve these solutions, you know, even at Foursquare, what we were doing there, helping small businesses and restaurants amplify, you know, the foot traffic, et cetera. And here, you know, really providing a, a real solution for them that they couldn't have gotten before. So, mm. you know, I joke that, yes, we're B2B, but we're more like lowercase B2B. And it, it feels like a D2C approach. That's huge. You know, and, and talking you know, about that investment in the SMB market, you know, we had Kevin Warren, the CMO of UPS mm -hmm. on uh, a couple of our shows, actually. And, you know, he talked about doubling down on the SMB market a couple of years ago with UPS, which has paid off tremendously for them. Yeah. You know, top line, they'll do over 90 billion, you know, this year. But to your point about really, you know, being an advocate for the SMBs, I'm very bullish on the SMB world too. And I think they're so important to the lifeblood of this entire planet. And so I love that. So you're this B2B solution, yet your distribution strategy looks a lot like D2C e-commerce. Yeah. What's the deal with that? Like, what's the, give us some kind of context there. Well, I think when you go, especially when you're building from kind of the bottom up, this is a high intent product, right? That handyman I mentioned, they got a job, they need to go search. Uh, and they've been told by their, their potential client customer, hey, you need to show me proof of insurance, right? 
what do they do? They, they go online, they go to Google and they search for insurance. And so paid search, organic search are some of our biggest distribution channels. You could build paid social and kind of affinity models off of that and audiences off of that. But you end up being in, in something really interesting now, which you know a lot of D2C companies are in, which is affiliate, influencers, even aggregators in the space who are collecting a lot of quotes or a lot of options. And then you know they've arbitraged the whole thing and they, they're at the top of Google as well. And so it's a big sandbox that you're playing in. But um, you know, all of these approaches are the same. All of these distribution methods are the same. And even the KPIs, right? Looking at CAC and LTV and what's your payback or your ROAS going to be. I've had so much fun doing this and really doubling down on this um, space over the past two years. But I've also now built so many connections. And, you know, I listen to like Moise Ali of Native Deodorant, who has his own podcast. And there's so much to learn from there. And so, you know, I think it's it's a great practice. And I think marketing is really shifting because everything's becoming e-commerce. Health is becoming e-commerce, you know, and we're going to see that in in fintech, obviously, in education, et cetera. So it feels like we're on, you know, the very beginning of something. Mm, Absolutely. Can you talk about some of your favorite campaigns? Yeah. Well, I do have a contrarian point of view on campaigns, to be honest, which is I I used to work at agencies for a big portion of my career. And I love agencies because you get so much exposure. You are put under the gun. You have to organize. You have to execute. There's a big challenge. Like you would do one thing with an agent. A client would come in and you would put together, you you know, get the RFP, you put together your proposal, you'd win them on an idea and it would do well and you would crush it. You know, when I was at Edelman, we were focused on digital. My, my big clients were Samsung and Unilever. I remember doing a campaign on social um, where we said it doesn't take a genius, right? And so the new iPhone's coming out. Oddly enough, my experience at Apple, now I'm working on Samsung, but it doesn't take a genius. And we would do like side-by-side comparisons because some of that tech already existed in these Galaxy phones for a long time. That became, you know, out of home and it expanded. And it was great to kind of see that. The challenge I always found at agencies is you would go back to the client and you'd say, I got round two, I got version two. We've evolved that good idea. And it fell flat every time. It was, what's the next big idea? And I I struggled with that personally because I like seeing iterations and I like compounding success, right? Two plus two equals five. And in this world, we couldn't get there. And that's actually probably what brought me into to tech and in-house, right? Um, and just how it happens to be in tech, but that's what got me in house. And you know, even where we are with Thimble, at this stage, campaigns aren't going to be the make or break. Like you can definitely, you know, have some big successes, but it's very hard to plan that. Um, and it's very hard to get your model and your goal from that finance team and be like, this campaign is going to help us reach those numbers. But you do tend to find that. And um, you know, I've had a lot of fun with campaigns, but I, I often wonder if we kind of look at it through the wrong lens in that sense. Mm, Super interesting. You know, many companies have responded, you know, to the pandemic by developing entirely new forms of customer service and experience, many of them kind of overnight because they had to. Yeah. What did Thimble do to kind of double down on customer experience? Well, the pandemic really hit us, right? And it became the top of mental conscious in, in March of 2019. And right around that time, 
we were looking at, we had started with the on-demand product by the hour, by the day, by the week. And what we found was businesses liked it, but as they grew bigger, they needed longer. Or if they were an established business, they didn't need a year, but they wanted a longer period of coverage. And so that's when we launched monthly. And monthly really started to fill a need in the market. And so, you know, when COVID happened, that flexibility, so I can get covered for a sizable chunk of time, but I don't need to commit, right? And I don't know where this business is going or where it will be in December. Hopefully it comes back. And, and we saw, you know, uh, some really interesting things. The events business takes a crash, but handyman and contractors goes and climbs right up into the right um, as everyone's focused on their homes. And so, you know, we, we had to kind of shift there. But we also introduced a few new features. So we, we actually introduced something really interesting called pause. And so what pause does is exactly what it sounds like. When you buy insurance, you typically get a rate lock, right? You, that's your price you're going to pay. But when you're falling in hard times and you can't make that payment, you don't want to cancel and then hopefully or unfortunately have to come back later. And so we allow now a business owner to pause their policy and it gives them a little bit of a respite if their business is hit with hard times, and then they can turn it back on when they're ready and pick up from where they left off. So that was a great feature for us. Um, and, you know, we found, you know, really help also like retention and cancellation rates, right? So really some great stickiness there. And then the other thing I found, which was really sh shopping, is around July, it just kind of occurred to us like, well, if this unemployment is so high, what, what's happening on the other end of the spectrum? And we came across this stat that the census publishes. It's called business formation statistics. They, they publish it at least every month. It's publicly available. And basically, it's the number of people filing for a new business, right? And getting that EIN number, et cetera. And it was through the roof. So the unfortunate aspect of high unemployment is kind of this idea, well, if I'm unemployed, I'm going to go start my own thing. And I think people feel and felt really empowered to do it. And so come July, that number was up 70% year over year. And even today, that number is still up from last year's numbers. And so the number of new businesses forming, entrepreneurship happening has skyrocketed. And so for a company like Thimble with a product like ours, where we're really designed to help a business start taking on a legitimate work as soon as they begin on day one, that's really what we leaned into. And when we started asking our customers, when did you start your business? Well, it was really interesting because 40% of them had founded their business in the last 12 months. And so, you know, we've really embraced that and provided the flexibility where they need it. And for the other 60% who are much more established, even they need this flexibility, want the control of everything done, you know, in an app or on a website and really quickly so that they could take on an opportunity. So for us, um, we really found some great product market fit and actually doubled down on things like flexibility and control as features and, and values that we, we leaned in on. Mm, that's awesome. So you've been quoted saying that your team is obsessed with experimentation. Yeah. And I'm curious about kind of two parts to this. One, how do you weave experimentation into kind of weekly, daily, like flow with the team? Like, do you spend a percentage of time to say, okay, hey, this block of time, we're talking about experimentation. Is it more of a kind of a free for all where folks can dedicate their own time to it? Talk about how experimentation fits into your marketing plans, your strategy, your growth. And then maybe if you could talk about 
some of the things you're actually experimenting with. Yeah. So it's structured. I, mean, I think at first what happens in a smaller company, especially is you do one or two experiments, right? You get commitment from that product team. It's like, can we, can we change this? Right. Can we change what that button says? And then, you know, you go into a tool like Amplitude, which, which we use or optimize or optimizely where they allow you to do A-B experiments and you see the result. And then it's, it's an addiction, right? You, you love it. And so you build structure around it. You eventually you cannot do it free form and you cannot let people just keep doing experiments because there's too much overlap. And, you know, when you get a data scientist in, they're going to tell you, well, the sample size is not big enough and that N is not big enough. And I even heard that at Uber, which is a massive company, that the sample size was not statistically significant to make a, a sound data-driven decision. So you do have to structure it. You do have to coordinate with other teams to see what else might be happening so that you can get you know, control versus your experiment group. So we've kind of built it into like a sprint cycle and, and taken on you know, that from what a product team would do. Um, and we even have a, a meeting called the CRO Weekly. Um, which is conversion rate optimization. And, you know, it it spans everything from channel to creative to what that landing page will look like. And then more and more so, you know, what's the funnel once we kind of pass the baton over from the marketing group to the product team, you know, and so we're doing it a lot on the growth side and we're doing it now a lot more on the life cycle side, you know, um, especially as we look at we have all these on-demand customers. They're growing, they're getting bigger. Which ones of them are becoming monthly customers? What is that behavior? And what can we do, right, to nudge and nurture that um, through email, through push, through promotions, et cetera? And so, yeah, it, it does become structured. Asana is where we live, right? And, and plan things out, get alignment, work with eng teams and product teams. And then, you know, from a data perspective, Invest in data early, invest in your analysts early. You don't want a lot of executors without enough analysts, you know, uh, measuring everything and then try to get it into a point of clarity. And so like a BI tool like Looker or Tableau, you know, make sure that you have your views because again, you as a marketer are going to have to go to your team and show your impact in business terms. And so I think that's the other thing that we've worked really closely on. And we actually meet with the rest of you know, my team and the leadership team I sit on every week, we present to the CEO, the CTO, the SVP of finance, et cetera, about here's what we did. Here's what we changed. Here's what's happening. Or here's an experiment that's running. And, and people get excited by it. They all want to chip in too. Hmm. Peter Thiel talks about when you're very competitive, you get good at the thing you're competing with people on, but then it comes at the expense of losing out on many other, other things. Are there areas where you've consciously tried to pull back on competitiveness? I think you have to find your own approach. And so, you know, I mentioned before, insurance is very intent driven and therefore search driven for a digital marketer. And we can see what are these guys ranking for, right? What are all of our competitors ranking for? And so rather than just say, well, that was their content calendar and try to, you know, deconstruct their content calendar and they've been around for a lot longer, we really got to go find new opportunities and find ways of thinking that were important to us versus them. So it's still the same approach or skill set, but it's a different strategy, right? And to find that white space. And so going back to 40% of our customers were new businesses, 
So we took that and said, when a new business is forming, insurance is one of the decisions it has to make or one of the problems it has to solve for, right? But there's so many others. And we need to make sure that they learn a thimble before they're even thinking about insurance. That's my ultimate goal, right? And so for us, that became content about, well, what are the tools you need? So if you go search handyman app on Google today, I believe Thimble article is number two or three of what are the top handyman apps, right? And no one's asking that question because no one else in our business has an app. There's literally not another insurance company that sells business insurance in the app store. So it was something we could own and it was something we could do. And we actually, to get that content, went back to our customers and said, this is what we're going to do. Like, we're going to go ask these professionals, because we have thousands of them now, what their opinions are of the best apps. And, you know, hopefully we're on them because they use us, but we got so many others, obviously QuickBooks and Wave and Squarespace and, you know, um, even just Facebook or, you know, Instagram became some of their, their top apps. And then we write articles and we go out for that. And we built a whole new content strategy and a whole new way to get in front of a new small business owner um, that no one was thinking. So, you know, I think that's the angle and the approach. You, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, but you do got to do it a little bit differently. Otherwise, what's the point, right? Like, why are we here as marketers um, if we're not trying to be different? So you talked about content as, you know, certainly an important part of a strategy. And I'm curious kind of how that is aligning with Thimble and storytelling, right? What's the frame and angle there in terms of how you're telling stories and how important has that been for you guys on the content side? And of course, brand awareness and new customer acquisition and all, all the above. Well, we take, we take kind of a different approach for acquisition and conversion, right? And, and there it's, it's really education. And so if you think about that handyman and they just got offered that job and they're told, I need to see proof of insurance. Well, what do they do? They, they go on Google and immediately they're going to type in, well, one of three things, typically. They're going to say business insurance. I don't know. That's what I need. I need business insurance. Technically, business insurance is not a thing. It's, it's the umbrella term over many specific types of insurance offerings, one being general liability insurance, which is really what Thimble started with. So they search for general liability. Others search for general liability insurance. Or some may just say, I'm a handyman and I need insurance. I need handyman insurance. And so we've had to recognize their behavior and their pattern is completely different. And so it's the same product, but we have to build a landing page experiences, content for business insurance, for general liability insurance, for handyman insurance, and then take you through, you know, kind of a flow to connect the dots. And if you're probably searching for handyman insurance or business insurance, you need more education on what is general liability insurance, which you're about to get. Whereas if you're searching for general liability insurance, maybe we're the third company you came to because you've been window shopping or price comparing for a while. And so then we're like in that moment of, okay, we need to really stress our value prop and our difference because we're up against it. Right. And then from the awareness side, you know, it goes back to the content I talked about before. So we've kind of branded our blog and we've launched a newsletter called Greenlight. And again, it goes back to kind of inspiration from elsewhere for me. So I was on sites like Product Hunt all day long, and you're just upvoting and downvoting like the, the latest app or tool to come out. And I thought, well, that's really interesting that they built community because I really trust the community. It wasn't like an editorial voice. And then I looked at like Robinhood Snacks and I'm like, man, this just 
I I listen to the Snacks podcast more than I open the Robinhood app. And I bet there's people who listen to the Snacks podcast and don't even have Robinhood. They just love the content. And so for me and the, the team, we built Greenlight. If you look at our brand, it's it's bright green and, and green light makes sense because every business, you know, is in that mindset of going. And so Greenlight has become this place, both a blog and a newsletter, where we're building content from the voice of the community and you know, being authentic in there. And for me, that's a lot more fun than talking about insurance every week. Like that would be just a really boring newsletter no matter who you are. Um, and so for us to kind of shift and bring that voice alive and we're, we're trying to do better, we're trying to be bigger with it um, has really been about gaining awareness and probably at least six of the top 10 pages on our site are those blog articles, you know, about how to become a handyman or how much does a handyman charge or, you know, how do I get, you know, my license or, you know, one of the best things we do is how to become a wedding planner or, or pet trainer um, and so those are great articles for us to, to put our brand in front of. And then it's, oh, by the way, we sell insurance, right? But be there um, authentically first. Mm, that's cool. So you, I do want to touch on this because you talked about it a little bit earlier. And you mentioned that now Thimble is this fully remote company. Many companies either are or hybrid, but a lot of them are fully remote and they will, will be for the foreseeable future. And you've talked about, of course, being able to to rapidly collaborate over Zoom and Slack and things like that. Now, I'm curious, and I know other CMOs and marketing leaders are going to be curious about this too, is what are some of the ways that you are unlocking productivity, right? And collaboration, because sometimes there can be real challenges, you know, with these relying on these tools to collaborate. I mean, we use those as well. And I'm curious if there's things that you've noticed in terms of, okay, we've actually figured out an approach or a strategy that allows us to unlock this productivity yeah. and collaborate more smoothly. Yeah. Well, I can give some anecdotes. I mean, you know, I do think about it said that like Jeff Bezos would make everyone at Amazon write like a seven page document before the meeting and everyone was forced to read it. We're not that strict, but we do like things, you know, documented better. And, and I am not, that's not in my nature, but I've learned to do it and I've learned to enjoy it. And oddly enough, when you put things into words, you kind of simplify your idea, right? You edit and you you gain clarity around what you really want. And you actually have to learn to be a little bit more direct. And I, I actually find that the teams appreciate that, right? Like they want that feedback. They want that clear direction. And when there's moments of question or disagreement, that's okay. Those are good for Zoom, right? And maybe not for Slack. I still don't love doing those types of things on Slack, but those are great for video um, and you jump on it. And so you know, I, I think that I find now, even before meeting, I'm trying to carve out 10, 15 minutes to just get my thoughts together about what needs to be done in the meeting versus when you're in the office, you just walk in, right? Or like, it was just a very different, or if you just stopped at the water cooler at the coffee machine, you're having good conversation, but it, it's not as structured. And so you're missing things. Definitely there are challenges with that, but there is productivity efficiency in that. The other day, we were about to launch a new product, new feature. And we were like, we need to sit down with the product manager and better understand how this is going to work. And she did something great. She basically did like a loom video of her walking through the whole thing. And we all watched that 15 minute video. And now we're all prepared for that meeting. But without kind of those questions in the beginning where no one's aligned on the same page or we need a walkthrough, right? That might take up a meeting in and of itself. And so 
you know, and it's funny to see like everyone's getting better at Zoom and everyone's getting comfortable in front of a, a webcam. So I, I think it's been great. Um, I don't know if we're doing anything groundbreaking. I will say we are fully remote, which is probably easier than being hybrid, where some people are in the office and some people are on Zoom. I haven't even stretched my mind to think how that works without those people on Zoom feeling isolated. I think that's going to be the next big challenge, especially after you know September 7th, a lot of offices are, are saying, come back in at least for a little bit. And then you know, I think we still miss those moments of just grabbing a coffee and building bond and empathy. And so those are challenging um, as well. And we're trying to keep it alive in, in a virtual world. But overall, um, it's been great for our company too, to just go remote and hire beyond New York as well. Mm, that's awesome. You talked about building the team from the ground up at Thimble, mm. growth, lifecycle, CRM, brand content. What was your strategy for how you built this team? How did you approach it when you were first hired at Thimble? Well, you know, it's interesting now being at two Series A companies and kind of building it from scratch is my approach has been different because the business demanded different things. And there was a framework at Uber that, you know, the, the head of bike and scooter division told me, which was strategy, structure, people. And I, I was like, oh, that's really smart. Like first understand your strategy. And then what are like the pillars, the structure of the team, how you're going to design that. So it matches that strategy. Even the cadence is really important, like in which order you're going to start filling those structures, right? And those columns. And then the people, right? Who is that individual? What's their skill set? What's their level of experience, et cetera? And so, you know, for example, just to show the difference at Jump, we're launching in a city and you really needed to actually win the heart of the city to promote your program and be in their good kind of graces, right? As well, because it's all permit-based. So local marketing has to be on the ground, right? It has to show that we're being safe players, especially within that scooter world and in that craziness of, you know, everything that Jump and Lime and all those other companies were doing. So we built like really large regional local marketing teams and tapped into Uber, right? So Uber already had some of that infrastructure set up. And so we were lucky enough to, to scale that way. And then you want to add in performance and CRM and things like that once you've got ridership. But the, the first stage is how do you get boots on the ground, either through in-house or agency or et cetera, um, but that experiential touch. At Thimble, it's been completely different, right? And so we're an e-commerce company and I definitely know that growth is going to be the first thing on everyone's mind, but we need to be able to build the site and build the content and the creative. So we kind of started with the content and, you know, which became SEO and growth, but kind of content and creative and people who could build, right? Who could add Facebook tags and pixels onto pages who could set up the whole website, who could run AB experiments because a growth marketer is going to need that to be effective at their job. So then you can double down on growth. We took growth out of agencies, brought it in-house. Today, we use a little bit of a mix of in-house and agency. And then later, we added lifecycle and CRM because we have a lot of users now, right? And retention and those other things become clearer. So for me, that strategy of understanding the business, how it's going to market, you know, what the metrics need to be was very important. Um, a lot of people will say, if you start a new job, like listen, right? And, and learn. I think that's part of forming that strategy and OKR, whatever it might be. That structure is super important. We're pretty simple at Thimble, growth, lifecycle, content, and SEO um, today. 
kind of the three main pillars, but will evolve more dedicated product marketing, you know, analytics sitting within growth, getting huge and huge. And so, you know, it, it, it changes, but um, I love building that team. I mean, I think that's just part of the fun um, of, of marketing as well, because we're so multidisciplinary today. That's awesome. Yeah. It's super key to, to be able to strategically put the right people in the right seats, especially when you, you know, you're disrupting an industry, you have to have such velocity. It's like, you don't have a ton of time to really like, Hmm, who do we put where? Like, you've got to think what pieces matter first, who's going to really be, you know, that first mover in this part of the team. So I love that you were featured, uh, in an article by the wall street journal talking about MPS. Yeah. How do you view it as a leading metric? How do you view net promoter score as a leading metric? Well, it's a score, right? And so it's it's kind of directional and it, it tells you, do you have product market fit? And so, you know, I like it. Thimble has an amazing NPS score. We've been hovering around 81 for many months now and we actually do a pulse check weekly. And so to see our NPS score versus especially the insurance industry, which is at like 17, I believe. I mean, we're up there with some of the top brands you can think of, um, Apple, Peloton, et cetera. And so NPS has given this confidence that we are on the right track. We are, you know, shifting insurance in the right direction, which is not just marketing alone, product. All right, we have a separate insurance team and our, you know, our kind of tech product teams are doing that as well. And so you really need much more qualitative feedback as well, or you need to start asking you know, and being inquisitive about that business owner to really learn, okay, well, how do we want to position or what is the real value we're bringing? I don't think NPS in and of itself is going to solve much for you. And it's probably really hard to move it up or down. I mean, it's actually easier to probably move it down, but it's very hard to move it up. And so, you know, I think um, it's a longer term benchmark that you need to look at. And then you need things like even Trustpilot or Yachtpo's you know, tools like that, mm-hmm. or even, you know, your UX researcher going out and getting you a lot of feedback. Um, those types of things are, are very important as well. Cool. You ready to hop in the lightning round? No, but let's do it. <laughs> okay. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Number one, what motivates you each day? Well, other than my kids and making them really happy and proud of, of what I do. You know, it's really sad, but I actually turn, I, I roll over in bed and I look at my dashboard and I just think like, is everyone the I on the same thing? You know, have me and my head of growth talked about something? Uh, do I need anything from there? And, and it's seeing them kind of build and go forward is really what drives me is building the team that can go do it. And so, you know, I think I'm always looking at, they're in the middle of all of this, right? Can I step back and bring something different to just ask, to make them ask the right question and maybe go differently. And I think every day, you know, trying to do that with the team is, is uh, exciting and what, what motivates me to, to come in and, and build this thing. Nice. What's your favorite band or artist? All time, the Beatles. Yes, good answer. All time, by far. Great answer. And then number two, Radiohead. Oh, another great one. Cool. <laughs> if you weren't in marketing, what would you be doing? Playing guitar a lot. I don't know if I'd be a musician uh, professionally, but I'd, I'd probably be playing guitar. Fantastic. 
what's uh, some, some of your best advice for a first-time VP of marketing? Well, I think my, my favorite saying is that you overestimate what you can do in the short term, but you underestimate what you can do in the long term. And it's, it's a saying many other people have had, but I just always have to keep grounded in that, right? And especially if you're marketing today and you're D2C or growth focused, your, your numbers are all over the place week in, week out, and you probably have to justify them you know, at that cadence as well. But remind yourself, remind the business, plant those seeds, build that strategy. And I think you may not be surprised at what you accomplish in three months. You may actually be disappointed. You'll be really excited by what's, you know, a year away from now. Mm, I love that. Last question. What is something wise that your elders taught you? You know, one time I called my dad and I was like, dad, I just like figured out how to save all this money on these bills. And he's like, why don't you spend more time worrying about how to make more money? And I was like, wow, that's a really good uh, thought. Like just, you know, go out and think of a next big idea and put it out in the world and, and bring it back. And it wasn't about the money. It's just more about that, that thinking of building and trying something new because we can optimize ad nauseum, right? And we can get caught up in the little things, but kind of having something that's inspiring to you or challenging to you. So I, I kind of love that. Nice. My dad's going to get a kick out of this podcast because I mentioned him a couple of times, but he's never going to listen to it. Shout out to your pops, <laughs> man. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Rick. And this has been incredible. I knew that this was going to be a great episode and you did not disappoint, my friend. This has been really insightful. I know we all are rooting for you over there at Thimble and the rest is still being written. The story is amazing. Thank you so much for being here. It was an honor. Oh, thanks for having me. And I've learned so much now from some of the conversations I've peeped in on um, here. And I, I can't wait for, for more episodes to come. Indeed. Thank you. Thanks. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.